Hey, everybody, check out episode 24 of Pelotero Pickle, where we'll get into the life and times of Hank Aaron, the impact he had on the game of baseball. Obviously, recap the NFL and the upcoming Super Bowl and the McGregor-Poirier fight that happened this past weekend. Oh, Pickle, 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 episode 24. It's January 25th. Chris, how you doing? I got one thing to say to you, kid, and it's not even about Tommy. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. Tell you what, I can see my eyes are not swollen today. Prednisone is the best thing ever. Second I mean, let's not, let's like preface that a little <laughs> bit. Like where that's... If you're suffering from uh, sinus infection, bronchitis, and cedar fever, prednisone is the best thing ever. Thank you. Good. Yep. Well said. Now we won't get sued. Yep. Still uh, <clears throat> a little scratchy, a little, little coffee, but um, feel feel like myself. I can think. This is nice. It's good. I'm back. You know who uh, else is back? Your boy, Tom Brady. Tom Brady is back <laughs> for number 10, kid. What else is there to say, man? We, let's uh, save him for a post show. There's more stuff we yeah. can talk about. We'll do a full uh, NFL breakdown, but uh, let's start with uh, the passing of Hank Aaron. I've said for a long time, he's like the most under the radar, best player. Like he deserves so much more attention and accolades for what he achieved in the game. Uh, Patrick wants to know if you've ever met him. I'm not sure that you have, Um, but just in general, what's his legacy as a player, as a person, as a hitter, where does he rank in the, in terms of the conversation of best hitter of all time? What do you got? I think I was in the same building as him once, meaning like a stadium, but I never got to interact with him. And if I had, I would have been just overwhelmed, like over, literally overwhelmingly nervous to the point where, you know, I wouldn't even have been able to say anything. Like foundation of words would have been incredibly difficult. Uh, to me, Hank Aaron represents consistency at its finest in hitting, right? He's just played every day not a ridiculous athlete i'm sure early in his career he was but like to the point where toward the end of his career had trouble even running down the baselines but all he did was hit man he just incredible incredible career incredible legacy to the game i i almost i hate that people try to downplay what he accomplished or hold the barry bonds thing over his head and you know try to make the you know, the 755, 756 thing less than it was because it was such an amazing feat, right? Like Babe Ruth was this larger than life, iconic human. And he's really body type, persona, charisma, character that, you know, you'd expect. His nickname was the Babe. The Babe had 30 nicknames, the Bambino, you know, the Salt in a Swat. Like he, he was larger than the game. And Hank happened to just be this, young African-American kid who came into the game and just kept pounding out 20, 25, 30, 35 homers at a time and just kept doing the same thing over and over again. And it was almost to the point where I think people got like bored of it or they became accustomed to it. But to have that kind of consistency over time from a baseball perspective is, I mean, mean, it's earth shattering, right? It's, It's overwhelming to think about. And I could see how you would get lost in the shuffle, but at the same time, you know, when you really take a deep dive into what he did and what he accomplished and for the game and for African-Americans in the game, 
just astounding really. And uh, baseball loss a great one, man. And it's unfortunate because, you know, as we get older that, you know, more people pass away in, in, in your life, but um, all you can do is celebrate him and his, his mark will be everlasting, whether, you know, he's one on that list or whatever he is, he just, you know, maybe he didn't have enough VBA. That's why people didn't like him. They didn't very have enough vertical swing. bat. He had a very flat swing. I just counted. Yeah. I think he had <clears throat> 13 seasons, top 10 MVP. Uh, it says 25 time all-star. I'm assuming that it includes Negro league. Um, I saw one thing. There's a, did you guys see the picture of uh, when he was like getting on the train for the first time, like leaving home? He's like just this little kid with a dollar 50 in his pocket, you know, heading out to go play ball for the first time. Pretty wild. Um, didn't go to high school. Didn't play in high school. I saw a scouting report on him. They were like, Oh, what's his uh, previous playing competition? And they were like, he's played, uh, like three months of the Negro Leagues, and that was it. And he went to Milwaukee because they gave him fifty more dollars in the Giants' first contract. Fifty more dollars, fifty. It's like some independent Five zero, stuff right yeah. there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> his one sixty two average. I love looking at one sixty two average. Uh, one hundred eighty five hits, thirty one doubles, thirty seven homers, one hundred thirteen RBI, three hundred five batting average, nine twenty eight OPS. All-time leader in total bases, all-time leader in RBI. I mean, he played for 23 years, and his 162 average was 37 homers, 305 average. Like he he epitomizes consistency, man. And if you go look at his year by year, they're not going to be far off that, right? Like, like he ne- like he didn't lay an egg. He didn't he didn't lay any eggs in 25 years. You know, he didn't he didn't have a year where he hit 220 with 16. Um, he had a 279, but he had 44 homers. 44. Yeah. He had one year with 45 homers. He had one year with 47 homers. And they had one, two, three, four years with 44 homers. Yeah. He just posted. He just produced over and over and over again. Showed um, up and did his job, he, man. That's what he, that's one, what he was all about. He had, a, he had a season with 31 stolen bases. I mean, he went – sorry, in, in 1963 – he had 319 with 130 RBI, 44 homers, 31 bags, and was third in MVP. You know what's crazy to me is the game would rather would almost rather see, or the media or whoever you want to put it, the fans would rather see somebody that isn't doing it who's having a monster year than they would appreciate the greatness that it takes to have sustained success over time. It's almost the paradigm of Mike Trout right now. Yeah, exactly. It's almost the same thing. It's like, oh, well, I expect this guy to hit 300 with 40 and and knocking 110, you know? And it's such a disservice. Lack of appreciation for for it is almost bewildering to me because, you know, I think that's what baseball players are supposed to be. Those are the kind of guys that I, I dreamt of being when I grew up, guys that just came with it all the time held myself to that standard as a player. And I think more people should, to be honest with you. Yeah. And it's actually interesting to compare him to Trout because Trout is also kind of under the radar when it comes to marketability and putting himself out there. Obviously Hank was playing in a much different era when it comes to social media and access and, you know, relying on newspapers. This is, you know, I don't even know what the television situation was like how many games a week were on TV when Hank played, you know, this is a guy you had to go out and watch actually play and read about in the newspaper and, Um, you know, the, the reality of it too, when you compare him to like a Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth was this media darling doing endorsements, you know, all that. 
I'm sure race had something to do that with, with that with Hank in terms of getting opportunities for that, or maybe he just didn't want to do it. I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but uh, he just kind of just went about his business. It's very Mike Trout like in that. Regard. I think the worst thing about it is people's interpretation of, of his feelings toward everything that happened after, whether it be with Barry or, or the game moving forward. I feel like he's just a very misunderstood man or, and, I don't think he ever necessarily played the game for glory as much as he did for love and passion. Um, and I think he's, he's so far removed from what society sees. It's like, the, you know, you live in this world of heroes and villains and we need to polarize everything and really make it about, you know, the, the underlying story instead of, what's actually happening. And I think this guy stood for everything that was in between those two and just did his work and came to work every day, showed up like a lunch pail type of guy. And again, I think there's been so much, you know, from, from the time when bonds, you know, broke the record. Um, obviously there was a big lead up to it, huge buildup. And I, I don't think people really got to see what he was about. Cause every, I, I was reading, um, Howard Bryant, I think the other day in ESPN and uh, just talking about his experiences with Hank and, and how much he appreciated him and like just the talks they had, his politeness, his kindness. It's, it's a special man. And I, it's really, you know, at the end of the day, uh, individuals I think can really rest on their own laurels. And I think that's, you figure out that that's what matters is, you know, your relationship with the people that are closest to you. But it's such a disservice to the game to me that, more people don't look at Hank Aaron and go, yeah, he's, you know, he's just everything that the game should be. Yeah. He's, it's not a top of mind type of name that will pop up in terms of the greatest right-handed, right-handed hitter of all time conversation. Um, I've got some stats pulled up. Manny Ramirez is often thrown in there. He is a career 312 hitter. 162 average was 39 homers, 38 doubles, 129 RBI. Right, in, you know, right in that same ballpark. Uh, Albert Pools, 299 career hitter, 37 homers, first 162, 119 RBI. Miguel Cabrera, 313, 32 homers, 114 RBI. These, I mean, if Hank played in today's game and put up those numbers, it would just—he'd be superstar, absolute superstar. Aaron's longevity is what's so incredible. Like 25 years, 25-time All-Star. Like, what are we talking about? It's absurd. How is that possible? He played from 1954 to 1976 in the big leagues. Like, what? It's, crazy. Make, it's, it's a long time to play. And uh, just, I mean, what can you say about that career besides? How many, how many people even have 20 year careers? Think about that. Like, the guys you just mentioned Barry, I mean, uh, Pujols, uh, Cabrera. Cabrera's uh, 18 years in. Pools is 20. Manny's got 19. 16, 19. But his last, his last couple were kind of yeah. Washed out. <laughs> so when you look at when you look at the three guys you just mentioned, like significant tail off, right? Like Miggy hasn't been himself in probably a couple years. I would say three. Um, Pujols really has been kind of a shell of himself for the last four, probably. Mm -hmm. um, and Manny had two years where he was just 
Manny, I guess. Um, but this guy, he never stopped. He just didn't stop. Could have hit till he was 100. Crazy. You figure out how to roll, roll three hits out two weeks ago, I bet. So let's go this. Let's go Mount Rushmore. Because when you look at a player of his caliber, you have to start looking at historical context. So Patrick, producer Patrick asked us for all-time and modern Mount Rushmores. I have, I, I took notes. I got like today's players, like active player, Mount Rushmore, modern player, and then all-time. Where do you want to start? So it's, this is going to be such a hard conversation just in general. So I think it's, I think it's good to like not look up names. I try not to look up names yeah. because yeah. it's like who comes what to mind? comes to mind? Not yeah. like, oh, let me go search for somebody. Because it's, I think the the Rushmore thing is more status. The persona, the yeah, impact, yeah, yeah. Not so much about the stats. But the stats and are I important. Think, the stats have to be there, but there's not so the be all. I think because of that, right? If you look, there's no scenario in where, unless somebody's really a baseball historian, like we can never appreciate. Like I can never appreciate Ted Williams, right? Like I, I in a way that others. Ted Williams, did. Stan Musial, Honest Wagner. It, like, it, it, it's the same yeah. way. It's the same way if we talk to a five-year-old or eight-year-old kid right now, or even twelve-year-old or fifteen-year-old, and you ask them LeBron or Jordan, and they're they'll sit, like most of them be like oh, LeBron. They never got to watch Jordan. They never, they never got to sense and feel and and touch and see what the Jordan era was all about. Now we're talking about an icon of all icons, right? And Jordan, so it's different. This guy's had shoes made for him. He hasn't played, picked up a basketball in ten years or whatever it is, fifteen years, but it's hard, man. It's hard for me to like being a baseball guy. Ruth is on the all time Rushmore, right? He has to be what he did, what he did as a, as a generational figure in terms of like, this guy was out homering teams. Like, can you even conceptualize that? I think he out homered the league one year. (laughs) Can you conceptualize that? How crazy is that, man? Like, Oh, New York Mets, uh, Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Dodgers hit, you know, 48 homers this year Ruth hit 53 like what that's crazy and and then to hear people like Adam Ottavino who's really never done anything in the game just got traded the Red Sox by the way yeah like I would strike that guy out well he went to Northeastern didn't he yep so I believe he's from kid. Canada yeah no he's a local kid isn't he I believe he's from Canada maybe you're right uh, I don't know Northeastern has a because he was I think a freshman my senior year my we we crossed barely one of the years when I was at Vermont and he was at Northeastern. I don't, th- I don't even remember if I ever faced him or not, but <clears throat> I remember they always, Northeastern had this connection with uh, some scholarship deal with Canada. Well, anyway, Ruth, Ruth and say, like saying, Hey, I would strike out Babe Ruth on three pitches. is so irresponsible and reprehensible. And like, you should get fined for that. Literally you should get suspended. Like, what are we talking about? It's the greatest, probably the greatest hitter of all time. How many uh, we're putting four on Rushmore because there's four on Rushmore? It's supposed to be four. So Ruth's Ruth's one. You got Ruth up there? I got Ruth for sure. All right, let's stagger it. You go next. I gotta put uh Williams up there because just again, impact in the game. Yeah, and Williams has to be on mine too. So that's two. Those are two that I had checked off. So now it's my turn. Um <laughs> the, the, Barry. Like, I have Barry. Yeah. Barry. Barry. Um, last Four, one, I, put, I have a couple five. written down, but I think like if I can project a little bit, I'm putting Trout on there. I, I'm not projecting. Screw projecting. I'm not projecting. Maze. Maze. 
Aaron. I got Cy Young written down just because. Well, you know what? You know what's scary is we're having. Makes sense. We had the we had the talk the other day about how the modern game, like, will there ever be a starting pitcher to get the last out of a game? No. In a big like in a, like a World Series game seven, starting pitcher finishes. No, no That's, chance. Is that ever going to happen again? At least, no, I mean, no shot. How annoying is that? It's brutal. That's so brutal. So a guy like Cy Young, like, didn't he throw like a billion innings and yeah, his number his numbers just. Those guys didn't know how to come out of the game, dude. They, they, it wasn't a thing. It's annoying. It's tired. Was the roster, was the roster smaller then? Who cares? I've never thought about that. Maybe – I'm just curious more than anything. If like, the it, roster was 20. How many, have, catcher, how many catchers play more than 110 games nowadays or 120? Yeah, but it's all – it's it's the, the efficiency of the business. How about this? We talked about Babe Ruth hitting more homers in teams or leagues. Like – is he like is Babe Ruth the Bryson DeChambeau of baseball in 1920? Probably. Like the Trevor Bauer, like what Trevor Bauer's doing, and what the whole velocity thing. Like, if you look at it in that context, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, we can't. That's why fundamentally changed. We, he completely changed how like offenses was played. We can never, we can never really appreciate generationally. Like people call Bryson DeChambeau crazy, but all he is is like the most forward thinking of the generation, right? That doesn't mean there weren't other – like, in the 1940s, there weren't forward-thinking guys playing the game, right? There, there were always, There's always forward thinkers, and there are always people that are behind the eight ball, and there are always people that, like, want to just fit the mold of what they think is right. And that's, that's the part where I, I get discouraged at people's perception of other humans and their, and their judgments that they pass about shit that they really can't know at all. We Sorry, we got to change the child rating now. We got to go. Cursed. No, beep it out. <laughs> Even if you bleep it out, like I've got me mad. I'm fired up now. All right, that's uh, a rare, rare curse right there. Yeah, me. modern day, modern day. So we're going modern day. That could be like retired, but yeah, modern. let's go like like 1990 on, like All our right. so basically like our childhood to now. All right, me or you? I'll go. Jeter. Yeah. Jeter was the first one that came to my head. I'm I'm gonna start with Bonds. Well. <laughs> I, I, are we just talking about hitting or are we talking about like in like really true impact on the game? I know you, you said Cy, you said Cy Young and on the, so yeah, Jeter has to be on there. So I'll, I'll go with, I'll Bonds will be my first guy. You, you go Jeter, I'll go Bonds and I'll see, I need to like, I'm still keeping it together. The next one was hard for me because I, I went Rivera and I couldn't pick a starting pitcher. I was thinking Randy Johnson, Pedro, Greg Maddox. Like, I don't know who the pitcher was. Maddox Kershaw, is like Kershaw chill. doesn't feel right. Yeah. No, the guys that are still playing right now, I, I couldn't put on that list. So I, I'm a, I'm gonna say I, I went Bonds. Oh man, this is really hard. Really, really hard. Yeah, I, I don't mind the Rivera pick. Ken Griffey. So that I'm gonna go Bonds and Ken Griffey Jr. to start. Fair. Uh, Jeter and Albert. Pujols has to be three for me. And I'm paused at three. Like, I want to have Jeter on the list. Jeter was the first one in my head. Jeter, like, when I thought Mount Rushmore, Jeter was the first guy to pop into my head. Pinstripes. Surprised me. Surprised me. Pinstripes, Yankee, you know, World Series winner, zero MVPs, right? I mean, if you if we're looking at it from a statistic. I know. I, I know. I get it. I'm trying to think of a pitcher. I was, I was going to go to, like – I was doing the same thing you were. I was going to like Clemens, Johnson, Schilling. I think Clemens, Pedro. if you looked at war, Clemens would win. He's got the, the highest career war. Yeah, I, that's why. I, I mean, I think Clemens is 
he was just a little bit weird. It was funky at the end. He was out at the beginning of the year, came back. So I think Jeter, because he played with the Yankees for so long. So like Clemens went Boston, Toronto, New York. Yeah. Um, you get a guy like Cal Ripken. Who I was going to say either Ripken or George there. Brett, like George Brett. Guys that but, played their whole career in one place, to me, yeah. there's a little bit more there because it's like their brand. It's like they're established in a different way. Yeah. Uh, current player only. Trout. I think we're both mutually agreeing I think, on Trout. Yeah, I think Kershaw has to be on there in terms, and that's more it's like weird. he's a West Coaster. It's just so weird to me. It's yeah. I get it. I get it. At, if you look at his numbers and his production, I, but we talked about not looking at numbers. I would never go to Kershaw without looking at numbers. Well, you just know that. You just know his. To me, his because he is a West Coast guy. I don't get to see him every start. My biggest experience with him is him not executing the playoffs. So. Uh, I know his numbers and I know like he's a generational talent. It just, I know does it's he, right. but it doesn't Does he have a shot to get to 300? Does anybody? I don't even know. I don't know what that number is. One something, two something maybe. Uh, he has hundred. He's 175 and 70. I was going to, I was going to say 180. Career two, four, three ERA. Pretty good in 13 years. All right, so you're putting Kershaw on. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that on hold. And if you go for another starting pitch, I feel like you need to have a pitcher in there. Who else? Yeah, uh, Verlander, Scherzer. No, I'm going to Cabrera. I don't like pitchers. I don't have to do anything. And I got Cabrera too. All right, here's my third one, Ortiz. I thought about him. Sorry, it's a hitter in me. I, I mean, listen, the impact that guy made on the franchise here. You might as well, he might as well not even spend any time with the twins because of the impact they made here. Um, and I would say I, I, I'm, I'm like Cal and, and Griffey were my guys when I were growing when I was growing up. Um, it's weird to not, like, I'm trying to think about like a catcher. You have to go. Pudge, you know, Yeti. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but in the active catchers, it would have been more modern day. I would have been more likely to say Fisk or Posey. Carter or yeah. But I'm done. That's my Rushmore. And that's doing Mount Rushmore. Very good. That was good. It's it's a hard conversation. It really is. No matter what you do, somebody's going to feel like they're the other person's wrong. I think the thing that we do well is just, yeah, agree to agree. To agree really. I hate when people are like, for sure. I hate when people are like, no, Ted Williams is way better than Carl Yastrzemski or Babe Ruth or I'm like, what? What an arbitrary conversation to be having. I think that's why, like, in a lot of regards, you have to throw the numbers out for a conversation like that because it's like how how does that player make people feel? Have you exactly at the end of the day, it's gonna like it's gonna come down to what's your opinion, what's your feeling about this person? You ever heard of cognitive dissociation? It's either dissociation or disassociation. Go ahead. You've been talking about it a lot lately, so yeah, the, the pickle audience. Well, it's whatever. It's what like whatever's already in your brain. As an adult, like the further you get into adulthood and having, you know, a uh, predisposition to something, the more difficult it'll be for you to break away from it. We live in a day and age of a lot of that right now, right? Like, it's almost impossible because when push comes to shove, you're going to go find, you can find so much information that will justify either side of the argument that you continue to reaffirm it in your own brain, which is why I think, you know, we're so polarized, we're so difficult. So like, why does my opinion matter? I don't, I don't understand why, why should my opinion matter when it comes to something completely 
it's not going to make an impact on the world. Like, it, it, look, if you're a world leader and you have to make a decision based on, you know, some gray area facts, like, yeah, at some point you're going to have to make a decision and, and kind of stand by it. Uh, and you try to do the best you can, but we're talking about, we're talking about practice. We're talking well, about just, practice. You just said it. It's an opinion. So like, yeah, but like, why do people take it so personal when somebody has a different opinion than them? Like, why do people, like, why do, why do people want to be like, no, to, like about this in particular, like Ted Williams is way better than Willie Mays. Like, you don't know. There's zero benefit to being right in that conversation. Yeah. It's not like you win a prize. You get no job for being right at that. You ain't getting no million dollars. Speaking of trying to be right all the time. Speaking of trying to be right. The the topic title is what is Jeff Fry doing? Question mark. Subtopic. Does he have any base of reality? Is this dude just making stuff up or tweeting rumors that he hears? And then what does Uh, this do with the discourse of baseball development? Wait, anybody that's not watching this on a webcast, the face I'm making... uh, it's kind of like tongue out, eyes droopy if you're listening to the podcast. That's how I feel about this. But anyway, continue. Yeah, so what happened this week was Jeff Fry, uh, noted Shigon nation leader, <clears throat> attacker of hitting drills, just curmudgeon at this point, I guess. Um, also took, took the bait on our fake post, which is in less than 20 minutes he took the bait. Um, so hopefully by the time we post this, he's posted a drill swinging a ladder. That was a joke that he didn't understand was a joke. God, what a, oh, so good. So good that he was like, oh, yeah. And I want to call it the ultimate launch angle drill because the ladder makes you think in terms of hitting the ball higher. Wow, higher. you're just going to different layers. Nice. Yep. Um, so his his whole his whole shtick is hate baseball, hate anything creative. The old school way was better. Numbers suck. Uh, but he came after driveline. Um, <clears throat> driveline has... Uh, gone through litigation in the past when people have come after them. Um, so coming after them, making accusations, fairly risky, I, I would say. Um, <clears throat> so I've I've heard the rumor that Driveline contracted with an MLB team, had a bunch of players go through the system, that the team did not renew the contract. That's what I heard. I don't know anything about injury rates or anything. Jeff Fry's coming out saying – he heard a rumor that like 65% of the guys needed Tommy John or something like that. Like huge, huge numbers. Like he hates weighted balls. He hates like to, to say a 65% injury rate. Is yeah. How many people, have, like how many pitchers in general have Tommy John? Like one out of every 10, maybe. Is that like a good guess or a bad guess? One out of every 20. I don't know what the number is. It's like, it's like 65 is ridiculous. big league pitchers. It's what? It's like 50% of big league pitchers. Or something. So one out of every two. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so Jeff Fry came at them. Driveline responded saying, Jeff, you're an idiot, basically. Um, here's here's something that I think is really funny about Jeff Fry. Um, he tweeted recently, like, oh, there's no two there's there's no one way to do things right. You gotta find what works for you. So now every time he tweets something that's negative, people just post that picture they screen screenshot that tweet that's like there's no one way to do it and then he goes off on twitter being old man yelling at a cloud being like this is wrong and then people just are just hammering him with this there's his own words and he never replies anytime you confront him he doesn't do anything about it um this is the thing i want to say he did a video with uh john madden the uh 
you go pro baseball. And he told his whole story, like for a guy that like rails against anybody else in the world for doing media and like promotion, he's a really good self promoter. So he goes on this, this video and he tells his whole story about, he went to a workout, had the best day of his life, hit like a bunch of homers, like first, like completely out of character, hit a bunch of homers. And that was the reason he got invited to the real, the, the draft, you know, at Rangers Park or whatever it was called at the time. And then he went there and he had a really good workout and hit a homer with a wood bat. And it was like, oh, it changed his whole life. The fact that he had a homer. But then he like spends his whole life railing against launch angle. And like, so the thing that caused his career to happen is the thing he hates. Then he told a story about being in the lobby in the minor leagues. Uh, and one of his, they were playing like wiffle ball and he copied Ruben Sierra. And he's like, oh, wow, I got way more pop doing this. Went out in the game, hit up like, I think he, I don't know if he had a double or hit a homer, but basically like credits like his major league career with a swing change to a big leg kick with like big moves. But he just rails on that now. Like you can't emulate, it's too advanced. Anything a major league hitter does is advanced. It's just the irony of this guy. It's hypocrisy. so thick. Yeah, it's just too thick. So I hate hypocrisy, right? I've said this. If there's... And I think this is why people get irritated. I think most people hate hypocrisy. So you take one stance on one thing, then switch to the other side. And in your own mind, you're justifying it because it's a different. So it's a whole ends justify the means of your argument. And really, first of all, Twitter is such a terrible forum to have educated baseball discussion. But for some reason, it's the quickest way for people to see what somebody else's opinion is. So we take that as gospel, first of all. Like, I'm going to give Jeff Fry the benefit of the doubt and say, Jeff is annoyed with what the, gen- what the perceived notion of what the generation is, right? And I get that, because I am too. Yeah, there's some really terrible instruction going on right now. Yeah, well, there's without like a doubt. There was, just like there was 10 years ago. And 10 years exactly. So to sit here and... And, and just kind of publicly like call everyone out and say, essentially what he's saying is his, his reasoning behind why everything sucks now is because people aren't going through self-discovery, right? Like his, his, his means of doing it was through self-discovery. Like I went and played wiffle ball and I just randomly did Ruben Sierra. I did a leg kick and it randomly worked. So his opinion is that everybody should have to go through self-discovery. Now, what I'll argue there, Bobby, and this is what pisses me off, is that for 27 years, I played baseball with the wrong mechanics, terrible mechanics, like just bad. Like, and I was just figuring stuff out on my own every day, every day. And the only message that I heard was the wrong one. So, and what I mean by the wrong one, and, and it's not even the wrong one because swing down, stay through, take your knob to the ball, whatever. Like in reality, it was wrong. In, in, in practicality and how it applied to me hitting, like it allowed me to do certain things. Like I could get to any fastball I ever wanted to hit. I could get to the ball in. Um, I could pull the ball with the best of them. But I think it caused limitations. Now, as a hitter, I was able to, to get hits because I focused on getting hits, right? Like I wanted to get hits. And I had what we call hit ability, right? Like you're either you can hit or you can't one of those things. Like, and that's just to me, willingness combined with a few, you know, intangible skills like hand-eye coordination, a little bit of athleticism, the ability to rotate, whatever. I get annoyed when people think that everyone has to go through their own self-discovery in the journey. Like what this day and age has allowed for is for people to get information in droves 
And that allows for better self-discovery at a younger age. Now, the problem, if Jeff wants to have a problem with anything, he should have a problem with the fact that we're not allowing enough athletes to go through self-discovery. We're not allowing enough athletes to explore because we're trying to pump a singular message. Now, does he think he's being productive and doing what he's doing is the opposite, right? Like it's the, it's counterproductive because now you're just kind of a douche who's like writing stupid crap to try to get attention. Cause at the end of the day, it's a huge cry for attention. It's like, Oh, well, this guy's screaming bloody murder. So I'm going to scream it louder and say, he's an idiot. And then it just turns out there's nothing productive. Like we don't have productive rhetoric. We don't have productive dialogue anymore. My favorite things growing up about the game were, getting in, on, in those roundtable talks and just talking through it. And we have so many mediums to be able to do that now and so many vehicles that it really upsets me that we don't take high-level baseball people, like the people that know how to share and, and collaborate and, and put them in the same room more often. Like, even like you know, conventions, events, uh, anything. Like, ABCA was virtual this year, and I know the landscape's weird, but – somebody needs to do a better job of getting that together. Like bring in the highest level thinkers and like, let's have constructive dialogue amongst people that really understand their side of the industry instead of just like, pow, pow, pow. I'm really big on uh, Cressy. Eric Cressy talks about this a lot. He's like, don't, don't point out a problem unless you have a solution. Cause otherwise it's just noise. It's just, you're just, you're just creating drama and you're creating negativity without actually like, taking the next step. So you're not, you're not part of the solution. You're just amplifying a problem. So I've had a couple of interactions with Jeff on Twitter and every time I try to point out something or get him to actually like, he rails against instruction, but never provides instruction. Like he d- he's got a bunch of videos where he talks about how not to do things and he makes these funny videos and then he yells, she gone. Uh, but I've yet to see him provide an actual like, Hey, here's a drill to do. Here's like, what I thought about here's his, solu- his solution is just go play at the little league field and have fun. That's it. But what's fun about baseball. If you suck, there's nothing fun about baseball. If you stink and can't get hits period. Well, then they'll, they'll really, there was a thing on, I think it was Preston Wilson. Did we, I think we already talked about this where he's like, you should never use hit tracks. And why, why should kids know their exit velocity? It's like hitting the ball hard is fun. Like, okay, let's circle back a little bit. Babe Ruth started hitting homers and he became like one of the most well-known figures on the planet. Like we're still talking about him because he did something new and it was like, would Jeff Fry be railing against Babe Ruth if Twitter existed back then? Like, who does this guy think he is? He's the worst. He's damaging the game. Yeah, it's, it's, it's terrifying to think about how people really like just get caught in their own worlds. And if, if you, if you break their own rules for how development should happen or the, you know, and now people are saying, well, like people are trying to monetize it and you're an internet hitting guy until you take the time to really go figure out what that person does in the cage one-on-one, what the discourse is like, how the, how the rhetoric is like how the conversations are going back and forth and how much of an impact, like a positive impact that person can really be making on somebody else's life. Then what the, who the hell am I to judge? You know, who, like, who am I, who, who can, why can, why should you be allowed to judge? Now, if the thing that you're teaching 
is blatantly wrong or incomplete, then I'll be like, yeah, you're an idiot. You shouldn't be talking out loud. Like if you're doing stupid drills that are just don't matter, that are, that are promoting the wrong things, I'm probably going to be a little bit judgmental and that's going to be okay, you know, but I'll still take the time to listen when the time comes, right? Like I'll take the time to, to be part of the conversation or to engage and, and really see where it goes. Now, what I've experienced in my life more often than not is funny because every time you and I would go around hitting people other than a select few, they were terrified to even engage in the conversation. Like they were, they just deflected, right? They deflected to you and your thoughts and your ideas because probably they'd stole, like they, they don't really have a true understanding of what's actually going on. They just get good at repeating other people's stuff. So that's the true, like that's what a true teacher does is they go through the exploration, they learn the information in a, a, a plethora of different ways so that they can present it at, like at its grassroots, most people out there are just copying what somebody else is saying and they don't really understand it. They don't know the feels associated with it. So, um, yeah, it's there's, annoying. There's a lot of, there's a lot of parrots. I call them parrots where they just, <clears throat> they're repeating words that they've seen people that, that lack feel. And it's when you get in the cage with them, it's very, very, very easy to understand that they don't, they haven't worked through the failure. They haven't swung the bat themselves. They haven't tried it. They're just like, Oh, well, this guy said this thing online. So, you know, just get in the same position and, say these words and it's gonna, it's all going to happen. Uh, one thing about Jeff that just to, to close my, my end of the topic anyway, is so much has changed since he stopped playing. And I don't know, I know he was an agent or is an agent. So he's been in the game or around the game, but it's, it's, it, it's annoying when people don't take the time to like figure out the reality of the industry. Like what is the current status of, you know, what I love when people call me an internet hitting guy. It's like, well, you know, I'm in the cage for 12 hours a day for 10 years. So like, if that makes me an internet hitting guy, then okay. Like I'm working at it. I'm trying, I'm in the cage with real humans, with high level players, with low level players, with, you know, seven year olds to all stars. Like what is the, the internet hitting guy, the guy that literally just reads tweets and then says it out loud and repeats it. Yeah. Um, so he, like it, you have to put some time in to, to get a grasp of the current landscape. And like, I'd be curious to know how many guys Jeffrey reached out to to like talk to him and be like, Hey, let me learn what you're doing. Let me get a feel for what's going on. I've had many conversations with coaches who are open to that dialogue that want to learn that are trying to understand what's happening as opposed to just, you know, right from the get go, just trashing it, disparaging it, saying it's the worst thing ever starting up hashtag and Twitter movement just to talk trash instead of like spending like what a week, two weeks reaching out to people and like trying to learn. Yeah. That's the, that's the biggest problem is nobody wants to actually learn. Like they don't actually want to learn. They just want to, they want to believe that their way is right. They want to believe that the things that they, the way they learned was the best. And it's, it's a crock of crap. It's, it's a lack of curiosity to me. And that's when, you know, what, 10 years ago now, 11 years ago, when, when I was first getting into this whole swing thing, I would always tell people like, just spend 10 minutes looking at video, just 10. Objectively. Just look at video for 10 minutes, like film your swing, look at, because back then it, video was not as available as it is now. Imagine VHS, like, rewind, fast forward. Yeah, I mean, forward. it was the first time you could get like, really getting a, a volume of frame by frame video. Just 10 minutes looking at video frame by frame, like looking at it objectively and then like, if you're just at, after 10 minutes, if you're going to say, you know what, this is 
terrible. This is garbage. You're wrong. So be it. But right. at the end of those 10 minutes, if you say, maybe there's something going on here, like my curiosity has peaked and I'm going to at least give this an, an open opportunity to explore. Like the, that's all I'm ever asking for. The irony of what you just said is the fact that I just got a text message from a college player and talking about timing and the, 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 the onus, the question was, um, Hey, have you ever been early and felt late? And I, I'm player in question has a tendency to kind of set the hands back early and like super early. And then it's set and it stands still and it's go again. Right. And I go, I go, yeah, I've, I've felt that all the time. The whole, the biggest thing that I learned my first year that really was, I think part of the Holy grail for me was learning how to just and keep it in motion, right? Keep that, that rhythm and that, that movement going on. And uh, like, it's crazy because he just texted me a video and he's in the kit. He's at like a T with a net in front of him. And he's like, is this better? And it's still like super like tight and conservative. And I said, you're hitting off a T into a net by yourself. Like, try some stuff like just go explore dude and then i i sent a clip of ken griffey and it's like yeah <laughs> like out here like figure out like if you don't know where that is like you can't know what's right for you so go go try it like go feel it and today might be different today might be different than tomorrow and tomorrow might be different than the next day it's crazy because it's just an it's an it's an ongoing evolution that allows us to really identify who we are. And the scary part, and this is sort of something I said the other day is there is no best, right? There, there is, there is no best. And what I mean by that is, and, and I mean over the course of time, right? Because I can hit 349 with 46 homers and 142 RBIs and be the MVP of the league. Right. And there's still 350 with 47 and 125. You know what I mean? Like there's more, there's more that you could have got. And it's, it's so unfair of us as individuals to either put limitations or have expectations of what the numbers actually should be, because the only way to achieve that is by really ingraining yourself and figuring out how to be the best player you can be in any given moment in time. And it's scary to think about because you can go down some rabbit holes and we got, we got people, we got people that are trying to like not let people explore and tell them, Oh, driveline's a devil or this guy's a devil or this guy sucks at teaching hitting. When the reason why this guy exists is because you weren't good enough at teaching because you weren't opening, you know, you weren't opening the book wide enough. You weren't getting to that page of, of let, letting the player go into fantasy land and say, let me try to be like him. How many times do you hear when you're a kid, don't do what the guy on TV is doing? How many times do you hear that? How annoying is that to think about now? Don't do what the guy on TV is doing. Oh, so don't do what the best player in the world is doing. Pretty brutal. Like how irrational is that now that I think about it? I, I thought I wasn't allowed to be like big leaguers. That's crazy. And all I want to do is be a big leaguer. It's nuts. I hear high school guys say, high school coaches say it today. And look, I get it. There are times when, like, as a player, yeah, you swung and missed 14 times in a row. You should probably start, stop trying to do a huge leg kick and barrel tip. But who am I to tell you that it's not good? I can tell you, like, look, you suck right now trying what you're trying. I get what you're trying, but you're not hitting the ball. So maybe, like, 
let's go back to like make contact first. You know what I mean? One of my favorite questions I would ask hitters of any level really is what do you take most pride in as a hitter? And it's such a simple question, but it'll get you to some, some truth about who that player is. Um, you know, if, if you ask a player, like, what do you take pride in as a hitter? And they're like, oh, my swing mechanics are really good. I'd be terrified to like, try to like to have that player on my team. Um, you know, it's like you get the conversations you have about grinding, about not giving up bats away, about executing, about winning battles, winning moments. You know, that's, that's the game. The simplest answer to that question, what do I take the most pride in hitting is I hate losing way more than I like winning period. Like I don't like making outs and you're going to have an awfully tough time getting me out because I'm not giving in. Like, I'm not saying I'm the best hitter on the planet, but like, I'm going to make it really uncomfortable for you to get me out. No matter what, no matter what the circumstances are, you'll be throwing 114. I'm going to figure out how to try to compete with you. And it might not be this pitch. It might not be the next pitch. It might not be the pitch after that, but I'm going to figure it out at some point. Cause I'm going to do everything I have to do to try to figure out how to hit you. And when you're on defense, you know, when you're facing that hitter, you know, when that guy's up there grinding and competing and not giving a bats away. Some guys get up there, you throw them like a lazy curveball, they roll over, they run to first, they go back to the dugout. It's just another, you know, whatever, just, they just existed. It's not personal. It's, it's all not, will and desire, bro. At yeah, the end of the day, it just comes down to all that stuff. And that's, that's not something you get by obsessing over swing mechanics. No, you get it by, by obsessing over hating losing. I hate losing. God, All right, let's jump into post-show. We got NFL reactions and some MMA discussion. You want to talk about somebody that hates losing? He we doesn't both, lose. We were both one. Wait, hold on. We were both one for two on our predictions. I had uh, I didn't realize that the Bucks had beaten the, the, the Packers in the regular season. I didn't even know they played. So – I might have looked at that game a little differently. And the Bucks defense is pretty impressive. Number who's number forty five? That guy's a beast. Just running around the middle, just make causing problems. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lamont David and uh, I did have the Chiefs just putting up points whenever they wanted to, and you're like, oh, the the Bills defense is pretty. I good. said, I, dude, listen, I told you the Chiefs were going to win. I said I would love for the Bills to win. This is this is why I don't do predictions because you asked me in baseball. <laughs> no, this is bullcrap. You asked me in baseball, I said, look, dude, I don't want to get it. whoever's going to win the game is going to win the game. I, can I just be a fan? If, like, if I had – I mean, look, the ideal scenario is Brady versus Mahomes, I think, right? Because it's just whatever. It's just whatever. It is what it is. But, I like, I just – I don't – like, the Chiefs are just, like, not – I don't know. It's too easy. It's just too easy. I, I texted you guys last night. It looked like they had 16 guys on the field on defense. They were – the Chiefs were just everywhere on defense. Kansas City plays super fast, right? Like they play fast on offense, they play fast on defense. And that's what makes them who they are. So if you're not playing fast, and the thing that I thought could counteract the Chiefs offense is Buffalo plays fast on defense. They don't play big, but the Chiefs are so dynamic. Like they just pull stuff. I don't even know what they do. Like Mahomes threw a ball underhand to Kelsey on that, like little – like, let's get the tight end lost in the middle of the line of scrimmage so he looks like he's not there, and then, like, whoop, flip him the ball. Kelsey, they do that a lot. He's wide open. Like, literally nobody touched him, nobody within 10 yards of him 80% of the time, it felt like. He just, like, he'd be like, oh, I'm just going to stand in the line of scrimmage for a second, 
and then I'm wide open. Throw it to me. Yeah, it, crazy. They 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 run really. How many catches do you have? He had like 18 catches. It felt like. Kelsey. Yeah, I, I didn't really watch. I I I literally tried to not watch that game because I was so. Let me put let me put it this way, and this is I hate this that I'm going to say this out loud for people that are Bills fans, and I played in Buffalo, and I like it as a city. I could not be less interested in a football game than one that the Buffalo Bills or the Baltimore Ravens are playing in. So, like the week before, they played each other, and there was no part of me that actually wanted to watch it. Like literally, I just didn't want to watch that game at all, zero percent. Now you put my guy Tommy and like Mahomes, I like right. He's he's fun to watch. You put my guy Tommy out there, dude. It's just what you know. It is what it is, bro. I just want to watch that stuff. You know, it's my guy, dude. He's going to his tenth Super Bowl. I saw a stat that he's made percentage wise. He's his his Super Bowl appearance percentage is higher than Steph Curry's three point make percentage. So there's a high, there's a a better chance that Tom Brady makes a Super Bowl beginning of the year than. Steph Curry will make a three-pointer. That's absurd. Like what, he's the best three-point shooter of all time. What <laughs> he's done love it. is astounding. And I'm going to put Patrick on notice right now. Sends a text. He's like, Brady's unwillingness to take a hit. Granted, because of his age, it's probably better for him. Like, all this guy does is figure out how to have more points on the board than the other team. It doesn't matter how. He does every step he takes on that field is try to figure out how to have more points than the other team. And, oh, by the way, one of the interceptions was bad, right? Like they needed to get... he, he had two punts and a tip. Exactly. Thank you very much, Bobby Tewksbury. Not football analyst for saying he had two punts and a tip. Two punts. Because it was like they're second and drops too. Dude, they were behind the sticks all game. They were in second and third and long. The first drive, when they went through the first drive and he com- and he converted three third and longs, I was like, it's over. It's they win. Three third and longs. You know how hard it is to convert on third and eight, third and nine, three times in a drive in the NFL? Like the chance, the probability is that, and he did the same thing when he beat the Chiefs two years ago in the NFC Championship game. The guy is just like when you need, when you need the dude to make a play, that's what he does. I'm there's like let's put it this way: there's a ninety percent chance he makes the play in the situation when you need it, and there's a ten percent chance that he doesn't. Period. End of story. Like the two point conversion against the Colts fifteen years ago is still like I'm still shocked he hasn't made that play. The two point conversion against the Broncos six years ago or whatever it was. I'm still shocked he hasn't made that play. Those are like the two that come off the top of my head. This guy just knows how to win better than everybody else. It's unbelievable. You want to talk about being underappreciated? Like the fact that people want to dog on him. He just changed teams during COVID in the middle of the world being ridiculous and like had five minutes with each receiver. He's like, oh, your name's Mike? Cool. What number are you? Like, oh, who's this other guy? Goodwin? No. Godwin? Oh, cool. I can throw you the ball, too. Gets his boy off the shelf. Gets Robbie G off the shelf to come back and play. Guy gets one target a game, and it's the biggest catch of the day. Golly. What a stud. What a stud. All right. Who's going to win? Super Bowl pick. The team that scores most points, but don't think for one second I ain't taking the bucks every day of the weekend, twice on Sunday, kid. Points? What do you got? score it's a three-point game it's not i mean it's it's not going to get away from them one way or another you pointed out number 45 devin smith that the the bucks defense is playing on all cylinders they're the number one rush defense in the nfl you know kansas city is going to be a little bit different they try to get outside they get on the perimeter 
you know, Edwards Hilaire is a nice little back. Like they've got some fire, like the Williams kid out of the backfield, Tyreek Hill on the, on the sprint, on the jet sprints to the outside. Somebody needs to do an edit of him with the uh, super bad. He's the fastest kid alive. Dude, did you see when <laughs> he did, did like you see when he like got out of he, it's it's a video, he plays a video game by himself. Yeah, he should have got tackled by seven people at once, and he missed all of them. He, and like, he almost scored a touchdown. He he went to go outside, and then he just made guys commit, and then he just turned the other way and ran across the field. Unbelievable! <laughs> like he, guys don't run diagonal across the field in the NFL. That doesn't happen. It, he does because he can. He's like Bo Jackson in uh, what was it the the, like the Bo old Jackson's mini me. No, you know, remember the football game where you could, if you had Bo Jackson, you could Tecmo. just run, huh? Techno, techno, yeah. techno, techno. He yeah, was he the only player he could, he could zigzag and nobody could catch him on the game because his rating was too high. Well, him, Not that they had that, They had him and Marcus Allen. It was almost cheating. I was always the Giants in that game because Lawrence Taylor, you just run, you just come around the outside and yeah. run over the quarterback. You don't have to tackle; you just run him over. Over. It was awesome, dude. I, I'm just. The NFL couldn't have got a better storyline this year. I mean, pretty cool. Pretty cool that they're hosting. For the, it's the first time the home team is ever involved. Yeah, the guy just won three games on the road in the postseason to go to the Super Bowl. Can, can we appreciate that for two seconds? He beat the number two seed at home and the number <laughs> one seed at home. Uh, like what? Well, how about there's a lot of people on social media talking about the goat right now. People that have hated Tom Brady. For a long time, and they're saying, "Hey, this guy, undisputable, indisputable." You can't. Yeah, and now, and now the whole the whole paradigm of oh, the Belichick Brady, like Belichick's a great coach, dude. He didn't have the horses to run the race this year. It was so obvious. But if I was ever gonna take my chances, it was with Tommy because that guy has the ball in his hands. And like my favorite thing that Arian said about him is that. You know, he lets him coach on the field. That's what he should be. He is a true player coach. Like, he sees the field. He understands the plays. I went back and watched Tom versus Time this week. He's a legend, bro. He's unbelievable. I, I'm, I've never had a bigger man crush in my life. Like, it was close with Jordan, but I have just such a deeper-rooted appreciation for what, what Brady's done with a, just a massive lack of athleticism in, in relative to, you know, elite athletes. Um, I, I, if you Brady, heard that, I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to say you're not a good athlete. Like, Tom I, Brady I was drafted, drafted as a catcher. I didn't know that. I knew he was drafted, but I knew he was drafted as a catcher. He hit, yeah, he hits, didn't he hit, he hit left-handed? I don't know. I Left-handed, yeah. So could Mahomes, be at Fenway one year. Mahomes and Allen were both drafted as pitchers because they threw gas. And then Tom Brady, catcher. Tom Brady could hit. I love Tom, dude. Uh, last last post-show item, MMA, Fight Island. What is... I've been told you have thoughts here. Conor McGregor, go. First of all, I need to go to Abu Dhabi. Like, I made it very clear. Like, I need to go to Abu Dhabi at some point. We need. I don't know if it's a company getaway trip. Abu Dhabi. No, corporate spot. retreat to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, like, we're going in. <laughs> Second of all, Conor, I, I, I had all this buildup, right? Like, I, I don't think anybody can – can hate Connor, right? I don't think you can like physically hate Connor. You can if you're fighting against him, but he's such an entertainer that really, you know, you, you just, there's buildup, there's momentum. He changed the sport, changed how much guys make in the sport, really, right? Brought attention to it. And he did some things, right? First, got a whole two different weight division titles at once. You know, so Patrick alluded to the fact that he's never really defended, which kind of sucks. And it's true. He went and did his thing and made a billion dollars fighting Floyd Mayweather, which is cool. Like, good for him that he had that opportunity. 
But I want him to be like I want him to be Khabib, like twenty nine and zero, with with Connor's personality. You know what I mean? I want him to be unbeatable, and he's not. He's he's very beatable. And Poirier proved that. Poirier came in with a great game plan. I, I was just disappointed that he didn't make more adjustments. I felt like he should have. And I don't know. His, his charisma is like a little bit gone. And not that he's going to change, right? I judge him for that. He's still a legend, but I don't know. I'll tell you what. Watch out for this Chandler guy. He's He called out Khabib in the presser and he said, yeah, come back and get your chance at 30, 30 and 0, but I got a feeling you're going to be 29 and Chandler. Like, what a line, bro. What a line. Come on. Yeah, I don't know much about MMA. Dude, you got to see this Chandler guy. The uh, I'll say about McGregor earlier in his career, I I just thought he was annoying and loud and brash. Uh, like he just hyped hyped the whole thing up and then get beat and then immediately be like, oh yeah, I respect my opponent, but I'm gonna I'm still the champ. It's like no, he's got knocked out. Shut up. I mean, no, he. Uh, I understand he, it now. Like he's a business guy. He's he's no, he had never been knocked out actually, ever. Didn't he just get knocked out two days For ago? Yeah, he got submitted by Nate Diaz. I mean, submitted. Submitted by no, it's not. Just FYI. I'm but not anyway, an MMA keep, fan. It's the same thing to me. Keep going. I get it. I'm just. So I I respect his hustle now more than I care about the shtick. So yeah, I'm all in. Let's go. I no, want be entertaining. I'm in, bro. If you come in hot in your first fight in the UFC and you beat a top ten guy. And then, like, you, I mean, he picked him apart. Like, Hooker didn't even belong in the same ring as him. I, dude, and then his, you got to watch his post fight right in the ring. He called out everybody. He was like, and he did it with class. And he's like a really classy, really nice, polite, well spoken guy. And then he's in the presser and he's like, it's like, Khabib, you can come back and be 30 and all, all the respect in the world, man. You're the best fighter, but I, I'm going to beat you. Yeah, like, you're going to be 29 and Chandler. 29 and Chandler. What? That line is money. I got to start using that. You're going to be 31 in Colabella. No, that doesn't have the same flow. It's like uh, you're in the book. That's the equivalent of using the book. Get everybody else out. Nah, there's no way to really say it. That's such a sick line, 29 and Chandler. Hey, he had to have, like, he, he rehearsed that, right? It's like that's not off the cuff. Because if that's off the cuff, if that's off the cuff, he's way better than me. Because I'm pretty good at, like, flybys. That might be a line in MMA, like an industry kind of jargon type thing. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, I guess. I I saw one analogy that he's, I think it was on Barstool, that he's the he's the new Mike Tyson, McGregor is. In terms of, like, he's still going to promote fights, he's still going to get paid, he's probably not going to win. I'm excited to watch Chandler, man. Poirier basically said he won't fight him. Poirier's a good dude. He's a, You can tell he's got, he's first team all human. Yeah, my, my biggest my biggest takeaway was I don't want to get kicked in the calf. That's that's what I learned this week. That's weekend. pretty much like you'd rather get punched in the face than kicked in the calf. Is yes, the rule that today's because today's general rule calf, of thumb. You're gonna get kicked, punched in the face. Exactly, because then you have to deal with both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get it. Very good. That's it. That was a, that was a long long pickle, but I think we got a lot of good stuff in there. Thanks for joining us. If anybody's made it this far. Like, share, subscribe. Smash that like button. All that stupid stuff everybody says. I'm laughing really hard. It's good to like actually feel like a human again. So we got that going for us. Last Monday, a week ago today, I was getting COVID tested and coughing and could barely stand up. So Now you're, just, you're back! Negative COVID test, a little prednisone. 
All right, that's our show, episode 24. Pickle, 